right, we are back. We're talking about the Vice Presidency of the United States. In this case, we're going back to a debate in September of 1803, and we're doing that because we, unlike other radio programs, are in fact Radio Parallax, and we do this kind of stuff. So back in 1803, they're discussing what the Vice Presidency ought to be. The original idea, the guy that the country liked second best to be president. But, you know, with the rise of, with the rise of party politics and things, this, this was not going to be how it was going to go down. So as they were debating how to revise things, uh, Samuel White of Delaware said the following. Now, we would note this, in re- this is in reference to the fact that they were going to conduct a separate election of the president and vice president. You may have noted when electors cast their ballots in January, they do vote for the president, then they vote for the vice president. At any rate, Samuel White said the vice presidency will either be left a chance or what will be much worse, prostituted to the barest purposes, character, talents, virtue, and merit will not be sought after, will not be sought after in the candidate. The question will not be asked, is he capable? Is he honest? But can he by his name, by his connections, by his wealth, by his local situation, by his influence of his intrigues, best promote the election of a president? And in fact, when we talk about a Mike Pence or a Tim Kaine, we're talking about someone who will, quote unquote, help the ticket, unquote. Also sending off this time was William Koch of Tennessee. He said, in electing a subordinate officer, the electors will not require those qualifications requisite for supreme commander. The office of vice president will be a sinecure. It will be brought to market and exposed to sale to procure votes for the president. Will the ambitious, aspiring candidate for the presidency, will his friends and favorites promote the election of a man of talents, probity, and popularity for vice president, and who may prove his rival? No. They will seek a man of moderate talents whose ambition is bounded by that office and whose influence will aid them in electing the president. And by God, that's about the size of it. Once we got into this ticket thing, and of course, William Henry Harrison was the Tippy Canoe in Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. Once we got into private organizations basically picking a, you know, a president and vice president to run together, it all became a matter of like, you know, figuring out a vice presidential choice that will in some way help the president. Let's just look at Agnew. It was often joked later that Nixon chose Agnew as impeachment insurance. Nixon had got himself into some political hot water along the way, and some cynics suggested back in 1968 that the main reason he chose a man of limited ability, Spiro T. Agnew, as his running mate, was that nobody was going to ever impeach Nixon as long as the choice was going to fall to Agnew. And I must say, as Watergate was taking place, and Nixon was, again, in deep political hot water, I think it's fair to say that no one was seriously talking impeachment until Spiro Agnew himself resigned. No one wanted Agnew as president. In fact, it struck me in looking at the list of recent vice presidents, at least looking back in my lifetime of people who have been the vice presidential um, choice or even the candidate on the Democratic side versus the Republican side, big difference. Just to look at the vice presidential candidates on winning tickets, you see they were, you know, men of capability. Lyndon Baines Johnson under Kennedy, probably the most powerful U.S. senator in in the history of the United States Senate. Of course, once he became vice president, the Kennedy administration froze him out and did not make use of his legislative talents. 
This may or may not have something to do with what happened in Dallas back in 1963, but I won't digress on that. But um, Hubert H. Humphrey, you know, the, the Bernie Sanders of his day, became vice president under Johnson. Walter Mondale, senator from Minnesota, well-regarded president, vice president under Jimmy Carter. Al Gore, one of the best vice presidents the country's had under Bill Clinton. And Joe Biden, who has, you know, served capably under Barack Obama. But let's just take a look at the other side of the political aisle the vice presidents in my lifetime on the Republican side. Under Dwight Eisenhower, it was the freshman senator from California, Richard Nixon, who served eight years as the vice president. Enough said. Then, of course, there's Spiro Agnew, the only vice president who had to resign in disgrace. And if you're keeping score, the reason that Agnew had to resign was that apparently paving contractors who'd been paying him off when he was governor of Maryland continued to do so when he became vice president, even though he couldn't directly give him the paving contracts. That wasn't smart. Moving right along, under Reagan, we had George Herbert Walker Bush as vice president, a man who reportedly never spoke up during cabinet meetings to say anything. We should talk about the choice of George Herbert Walker Bush by Reagan. Reagan did not like Bush at all and did not want him to be vice president. But Bush himself... I think taking a page out of the Nixon playbook, decided to pick a vice president to give himself impeachment insurance. He was given a very long, embarrassingly long list of possibilities back in 1988 to choose for his vice president. And because he did have a reputation for being wishy-washy and a man not able to make decisions, he told reporters back then, people say I can't make a decision. You watch who I pick for vice president. That'll tell you all you need to know about my decision-making ability. Bush 41 then went out and picked Dan Quayle. <laughs> During the Bush presidency, a poll was conducted of the American public as to whether they thought Quayle was qualified to be president, and 70% of the public said they didn't think he was. And then under, and then under George W. Bush, we have Vice President Dick Cheney, probably the most powerful vice president in U.S. history and probably the most malevolent. So whatever we may want to say about Tim Kaine and Mike Pence, I think one thing's pretty clear. The Republicans didn't go with Pence because they thought he was going to be the second best guy for the job. In fact, oddly enough, it really comes down to the fact that the person who becomes the nominee gets to pick the vice president. Although, oddly enough, in the case of Ronald Reagan, he was trying to make, oddly enough, Gerald Ford his vice presidential choice in 1980. And it might have happened, except for the fact that former Radio Parallax guest and then CBS News anchor Walter Cronkite, in an interview with Gerald Ford, asked him how that might work for Ford, to, you know, having been president, been the vice president and then the president, to now accept a role as a candidate for the vice presidency. And Ford said, well, I'd have to, be, I'd have, to have a significant role in Washington. And it was Cronkite who used the phrase co-presidency, which is not a phrase that Ford used. But the Reagan team, upon hearing the idea that Gerald Ford wanted to be co-president, decided that, well, they weren't so excited about him being on the ticket. It was Ford himself who finally just said, well, I don't think I can do this. And that opened the door for George Herbert Walker Bush. I read an account somewhere that on the night of the nomination when Reagan had it secured, someone, possibly James Baker, came to him and uh, said, it has to be Bush. Reagan's response was, really? He said, yeah, has to be Bush. Can't confirm that story, but I kind of suspect that's how it went down. Ronald Reagan did not think very much of George Herbert Walker Bush. In fact, there's a famous moment back in the 1980 campaign 
when they were going to have a two-person debate before the New Hampshire primary between Bush and Reagan. But there were other people running, people like Phil Crane, people like John Anderson. So in what was a brilliant move, Reagan brought them to the meeting and said, why don't we let everybody get in on this debate? Reagan's team thought that was a good idea. That meant he didn't have to field all of the questions. And Poppy Bush just sat there all petulant like, well, I, that wasn't the deal. We wasn't what we agreed on, which made him look like a wishy-washy baby and made Reagan look like a pretty good guy. Hey, I wanted to let everybody else in on the deal. It's Bush that put the kibosh, it's Bush that put the kibosh on it. Anyway, the choice of the vice presidency, it's often said, probably can't help you much, but can hurt you. Witness 2008 when John McCain in a desperate Hail Mary chose Sarah Palin. But uh, what happens for the rest of this political campaign will remain to be seen. We will have more to say about the vice presidency, I think, in future installments. And by the way, the Republicans have been known to make good choices for vice president. Back in 1948, Tom Dewey chose California Governor Earl Warren as his running mate. And by all accounts, Warren was respected by everybody. Probably a bigger joker in the deck than the vice presidential choice is the question of a third-party candidate, something we could talk about at length, but we'll not do so today because we're out of time. But, um, boy, if you look back at the last uh, half-century of American politics, George Wallace in 68, John Anderson in 1980, Ross Perot in 92 and 96, and Ralph Nader in 2000 all had significant roles to play in that elections and those elections' outcomes. And uh, we'll have to see if, um, you know, that is the case here in 2016. The Libertarians are making a run at it. A lot of people are going to vote for the Libertarians simply because it's not Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. We'll see. Anyway, that about wraps it up. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We're going to have a full-on original show next week as well.
this is James Brown, soul brother number one, always fighting. Now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs will take your life away. And if you want to live, stay away from drugs because they are super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad.